ready for the second sermon of this evening? It's a good video, but a bit long. Anyway, um, so why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, I am a tasty tangerine. If that doesn't make sense to you, you missed a key prophetic word that was brought this evening by Joshua Sachona. How are we doing? Are we good? So that's what we're going to be doing for the next 11 weeks. We're going to be looking at slowing down. And I think it's a really important topic. Um, we exist, don't we? I mean, look at your lives right now. It's our lives all around us. Everything is really fast, isn't it? It's rapid. It's uncontrolling. It's unyielding. It's, 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 it's a crazy, crazy fast world we live in. Everything's moving so quickly. Sometimes we don't even realize how fast it is moving. Um, our world, they say it all the time, don't you? Don't they? But it is. It's changing every day. Our world is changing every day. And it's changing the fastest it's ever changed before. Apparently, according to some really clever people, researchers estimate that over the last 30 years, the environment, and social order has changed more rapidly in our Western world than it has in the last 300 years. So, say that again. Last 30 years, our world has changed. You know, in our Western world, in 30 years, has changed more than it has in the last 300. It's crazy. Um, people actually believe that there's a strong link between our mental health crisis and how fast the world has changed. Technology. The internet, smartphones, global warming, fear of nuclear war, fear of terror, fear of war in general. All of this, clever people, researchers conclude, um, it's just too much change for millions of people. And we can't cope. Life seems so fast. All we seem to spend most of our time's time doing is, is studying, if you're a student, right? That's all you do hopefully, and um, or if you have a full-time job, you just feel like all I do is work, work, work. Don't sing it. <laughs> there are uh, other parts of the world. You can go to these parts of the world. Here, they're really nice. Apparently, life is just slower. And another trend in these parts of the world, people live longer. Our fast-paced lives are actually killing us. According to a government report earlier this year, it's my favourite fact and the last one, I think. The UK, that's us, okay? We work the longest hours out of all of the nations in the European Union. However, listen to this, we are the least profitable and least economically successful nation. You hear that? We work, we work the hardest out of everyone in the European Union. And we gain the least. No gains. What's happening? And, and you look at people's lives, you know, they work so hard, they actually sacrifice time with family, even time alone, you know, things that really matter. 
Other nations, these are apparently the great places to be. Germany, Italy, Holland, Denmark, and other plenty of exotic places. They work less hours than us. They have more national holidays. And they're more financially successful. And more often, they they live more peaceful, satisfying, enjoyable lives. So many things um, in our lives demand our time, don't they? Demand our our minds, our our hearts, and our everything. Um, I don't know about you, but every morning, this is my phone, I wake up. I won't do my routine of how I wake up, um, just like this. And, you know... I get my phone, I go through my news app, go, I, I might go and see the sports, um, I might go on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, YouTube, spend a, I could spend a while on there. And you know, before I know it, I, I've spent a lot of time on my phone. And I do pretty much uh, a lot similar throughout the day and and you know when I'll go to bed I'll go to bed tonight and before I fall asleep I'll do the same thing and I'll plug my phone in and then repeat the next day and we are this is just the the world we live in we're we're repeatedly bombarded with tons of new information every single day you know tweets stories images opinions rants from the moment we wake up to the moment we go back to sleep. And that's the world we live in. And it just sometimes feels very loud, doesn't it? it? So it just feels like sometimes the world's shouting at us. And so being silent, right, just spending some quiet time alone, it actually can feel quite overwhelming. And in silence, it's just unbearable. In our fast-paced world, we, we can't relax, can we? In fact, we don't know how to. I don't know how to relax sometimes. Have a bath. I don't know. When it comes to prayer, um, being still with God, oh, wow, that sounds impossible, doesn't it? And it just seems unproductive. Everything around us is being productive and, and, and doing stuff. And, and when I pray, it just feels like a waste of time. It feels unproductive, doesn't it? So slowing down doesn't just feel countercultural, it is countercultural. And we need help. We need to live present lives. We need to slow down. And uh, because God's so faithful, yes, He is. Can I get an amen? Okay, because God's so faithful, because he, he cares for us, you know, because he, he loves us, he's given us so many different ways to help us live a life of peace and in his own natural rhythm. So, you know, read the scriptures and we'll do that over the next 11 weeks and we'll see abundant advice and guidance on how to live this kind of life. Um, so tonight, if you want to go to the book of Psalms, pull your Bible right in the middle there, and if you want to go to Psalm 84, Psalm 
Psalm 84. I'm reading from the NIV, depending on your translation, it could say some very different things, but that's okay. Psalm 84, verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. How lovely, how spectacular, how awesome is your dwelling place. Some of you will know that in the Old Testament, right back in the book of Exodus, God commanded his people to build a dwelling place for him. Uh, That was initially a a tabernacle. You see, um, God's people were constantly on the move from place to place. And they thought, you know, it'd be wonderful if we could put God's presence um, among us in this um, tabernacle. So wherever we go, God would be with us. So next picture, please. Here it is. Look at that fantastic um, drawing, I guess. And we have people encamped around this sanctuary. You have this sort of outer court. See that big fire in the middle? That's the altar sacrifice where people would sacrifice. And then you have this little tent in the middle um, called the, 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 the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was divided. You might have remembered this from your Bibles. that The tabernacle was divided into a holy place and a most holy place. And only a priest could go in there to perform sacrifices on behalf of the people. And here it is. Looks all right, doesn't it? As time went on... Um, and after this psalm was written, um, the tent of, uh, kind of got a facelift and um, Im- impressive temples followed. There we go. Probably looked a little bit like this, the second temple. Uh, you know, it's understandable why you'd be impressed with this, isn't it? Wow, look at it. It's fantastic. How lovely is your dwelling place? It's lovely, isn't it? But if we just go back to that um, primitive looking tent. I mean, it's all right, isn't it? It's just a tent, isn't it? It's nothing spectacular. Why is it so lovely then to the psalmist? See, it wasn't because the tent was so special. It wasn't like, hey, look at those tent poles. It wasn't the structure in and of itself, you know, that was so, so lovely. It was the fact that the presence of God resided there. That's why his dwelling place is so lovely. Um, we will look um, over the next 11 weeks, but you know the, the, the whole story of the Bible, um, we, we start to see the presence of God kind of change among the people in a sense of it's not located in a tabernacle. It, it, it actually um, breaks out eventually. And, and so you and me today, if you're in Christ, you can wherever you go, you, you are within God's dwelling place. So, so, so whether you wake up in the morning and you're at home, you, that's, your dwe- that's his dwelling place. You know, whether you go to work, that's his dwelling place. Even in King's house. Even here. It's a lovely dwelling place. This is a lovely 
place, the psalmist says. Why? Because the Lord is there. This psalm teaches us um, that an encounter with God's presence is dependent on our willingness sometimes and our desire to go to him. Um, the psalm was originally, um, the, the, the reason it was written, apparently, um, it, was, it was originally written as a pilgrimage song. So the idea is that um, once a year, wherever you lived, you, you would all gather, go to Jerusalem, and you would go and see this tabernacle. And so the idea is that, uh, imagine we all depart, right? We're a couple of hundred miles away, and we start singing this psalm together. And so the idea is there's some anticipation growing as we, as we get closer to this amazing tabernacle. And you can, can't you sense the anticipation as they get closer? What's it say? My soul yearns, right? It even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart, my flesh, my, they cry out for the living God. My whole being, heart, soul, flesh. Can you sense the passion for God here? This isn't somebody um, with a mild interest in God, right? This isn't somebody who engages with God like an occasional hobby. This is somebody who is faint, right? This is someone who's lightheaded in serious physical distress because they need to meet with God. And the only cure for how they're feeling right now is his presence. There's no such thing as too much enthusiasm for God. Does the thought of being with God fill you with this kind of anticipation? I want to ask, are you consumed with this kind of longing for him? Does your whole being cry out for him? The psalm says, even the bird desires to build their lives in the circumference of God's presence. It's a safe place, a really safe place to rest and even begin life. Maybe as we read this, um, you feel as if, I don't know, I feel like I've, I've lost this sense of awe and, and wonder of knowing God. Maybe his almighty love, his marvelous grace, his mercy that we've been singing about tonight, maybe for some of us, it's just kind of become reduced to a doctrine, a teaching that, that no longer causes us to rejoice. Wherever you are in your walk with God tonight, I really believe that his spirit is here among us. He's our helper. If you ask him, he will breathe fresh life into you. I believe it's possible to wake up every morning with this same sense of anticipation that we find in this psalm, knowing that I'm going to meet with God today. It's possible to have this same Anticipation as you're coming up the stairs, the, the glorious King's House stairs, every step, every step, knowing that oh, I'm going to encounter God this evening. I've got expectation. Verse 5. What does your translation say? What's the first word? Blessed. Anyone have anything else? What? Psalm 84, right? What? Okay, so mine says, um, blessed. Others might say happy. 
Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, apparently no one knows what that is. Some people think it's the valley of weeping. They make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer. Lord God Almighty, listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O King. O God, look with favour on your anointed one. You know, um, you don't have to be a Christian, do you, for very long before you realise it's actually just about many things. A lot of it's about trust, isn't it? Who we entrust our lives to. Will I try to maintain control of my life or will I surrender it all to Jesus? I can't speak for everybody, but my experience so far in following Jesus is it's a lot about trust. Having faith in him sounds simple, but it's often difficult, isn't it? Giving up control. Temptations, persecutions, they're, they're real, aren't they? And, you know, sadly, we will all in this room experience a sense of loss, hard times, trials, different parts of our lives. But listen to the, the amazing promise in this psalm. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Happy, content, fulfilled are those who surrender all and rely on God. These people will pass through a valley of weeping and it will become a place of refreshing. They won't be, be-, they, they won't be weak, but they will go from strength to strength. What a wonderful verse. Um, I recently experienced my own valley of weeping. Um, well, n- not really. I went camping. <laughs> this is a picture. This is uh, wonderful. Look how happy I look. This is me. No hashtag, no filter. This is me. This is what I look like in God's dwelling place. Um, some people I went with. Um, I, I work part-time for Nazarene Theological College. as part of my role. I get to go to lots of Christian festivals. And this includes camping. So this one event um, was in Lincoln. And we were running late. Fest- we had to be somewhere basically at 2 o'clock. Um, we got there at one and we had to set up our tent. Um, so we had about an hour. Apparently, it's meant to take 20 minutes to set up a tent. Apparently. But um, normally I go with someone who knows what they're doing so they can help me. Um, but the, the people I went with, they were worse than me. Um, so anyway, we're setting up a tent. Um, 20 minutes went past, the tents weren't up. 45 minutes went past, the tents weren't up. One hour went past, an hour and a half. It's a very sunny day. Um, by this point, the family next to us had set up about five tents. They had this crazy, huge marquee. They were eating. It was so embarrassing. Oh. Eventually, you know, we took a step back. What are we doing? We, we went back to the instructions and we found that basically we've been using the wrong pole. Two hours later, we're already an hour late for this meeting we need to go to. The sun beating down on us. 
Um, we, we put our tents up. Well, kind of. We had a problem. Let's go to the... <laughs> Apparently, there's meant to be like a bit of space between <laughs> tents. This wasn't all my fault. The person I was with was laughing so much at this. And I'm thinking, well, God, we're so late. Anyway, um, let's just say a little bit more time later, we pulled the pegs, moved the tents, and there we go. Wonderful. You see, this whole, this, this whole message is really about tents, isn't it? Um, we were in uh, such a rush to put up our tents, so driven, so self-reliant, we were essentially running around in circles. Um, how much easier would it have been if we just slowed down? If we weren't so rushing around, you know, if we just maybe read the instructions, maybe we would have cut our time down by at least an hour. Um, Jesus says this to us in John 15, verse 5, a very powerful verse. Without me, you can do nothing. And apparently that includes putting up a tent. Without Jesus, even the simplest things can feel impossible. Um, you know, maybe you're here tonight and you are, you are really struggling. You know, maybe you've got some serious stuff going on and life just feels really difficult. I, w- I want to remind you of the promise in this psalm that even though you're currently passing through a valley of weeping, he will make it a place of refreshing springs. That you will go from strength to strength. Because he, he will never leave your side. I love John 10. Jesus is our good shepherd. You know, everyone else in this world um, will ultimately leave us. We're all out for ourselves. Ultimately, Jesus will never abandon his sheep. Others might, right? But he never will. He's always going to be by our sides. So, Count these trials as joy, as James reminds us, because they will produce fruit. You know, if you read the book of Philippians, what a wonderful book. At face value, if you read the book of Philippians at face value, you would think that the author, Paul, wrote this whilst he was sat soaking in a nice bubble bath, glass of Prosecco in one hand, he's got his quill in the other He's in this five-star, all-inclusive hotel off the coast of Spain, somewhere exotic. For example, look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you skimmed over that part, Paul says it again, rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything, but hand it over to me, says God. Sorry to disappoint, but Paul isn't in a bubble bath. He's actually sat probably in a cold, dark prison, 
bound in chains. He's probably really hungry. He's probably really tired. Yet, what does he teach us here? Even in the darkest places, right? Even in the valley of weeping, Paul says to us this evening that we can rejoice in the Lord. Always. He says elsewhere in 2 Corinthians, because I'm weak, when I'm weak, then I am strong. Verse 10. Here it is. What a verse. What does your translation say, Twiller? No, no. Psalm 84, sorry. Psalm 84, verse 10. You're not there. All right. Are you there? No, okay, you, you get there. Let's give Twiller a moment to get in the right place. Is that a paper Bible? Oh, wow. Verse 10. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Notice how it doesn't say not one year. It doesn't say one year, does it? It doesn't say one month. It says one day. One single day in the Lord's presence is better than a thousand days spent anywhere else. That means, and I love this, that the shortest time enjoying the presence of God is incomparably superior to any of the pleasures you can think of, all of the wealth that the world could offer. In fact, the psalmist says, I would rather be a doorkeeper at the sanctuary. I'd, I'd rather be on the threshold of God's presence than, than be elsewhere. I, I'd rather have a lowly, poor, pathetic position in the sanctuary. I'd, I'd rather be on the edge. I, I'd rather be experiencing the bare minimum of, of, of God's presence than be high-ranking, world-leading, successful, wealthy figure. This psalm teaches us Make a big deal about the times we get to be in God's presence. When we gather as a church family like this or at Deeper or wherever, make a big deal about it. In Kings, you know, we, I noticed this. You might, some people call it a service, some people call it a meeting. Um, take your pick. However, I, I always thought meeting is actually... It's, it's not a very common term in, in, you know, if you were describing going to church. People would often say service or, or the equivalent. But meeting, it, it assumes that it, it isn't a service where, where we take. But actually a meeting is a place where God meets with his people. It, it's not something that, that, that we just get out of. But it's something that we go in anticipation and, and expectation that we're going to encounter God. And so when you're alone at home, wherever it is, when it's just you and God, make a big deal about it. Put some candles on. I love candles. Enter your living room. Enter your tiny student cupboard <laughs> with excitement, anticipation. You're about to meet with God. 
and, and don't see it as a job that you have to do. But grasp the immensity and privilege of being able to sit freely in his presence. People would have died for this freedom. And don't beat yourselves up as well if you fail to pray for one hour every single day. Start small. Lower your expectations. Ten minutes in God's presence is better than being anywhere else according to the psalm. And from here, your your devotion will grow. It's really important. If I haven't laboured the point enough, it's important to spend time in God's presence. And it gets easier. I mean, initially, five minutes feels like five hours. Um, but, but with practice, you know, spending a bit, bit more time, it, we, we start to grow in our desire for his dwelling place. Psalm 84 is a beautiful psalm. It's about movement. It's about going from outside to inside God's presence. It's about saying no to daily worries and just focusing on an intimate encounter with him. In our busy world, it's fundamental, isn't it? We take time to slow down. If you're busy, swept off your feet, doing things for God, how about we start doing things with God? His dwelling place is lovely, and with five or so minutes left, we're going to sing a song. We're going to worship him. We're going to celebrate him. We're going to praise him. We're going to enter his courts of thanksgiving. And the book of James promises us, if you draw near to God... He will draw near to you. And so if you want to stand, um, we're going to sing. We're basically going to sing the psalm. And, 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 you, and you know the song. So 